right. How are you guys doing tonight? So this is my lovely wife, Elise, if you haven't met her before. And um, tonight we're going to talk about marriage. It should be great. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll jump into it. Lord, we thank you so much for this night, God, and, and your word. And Lord, we recognize that all of us are in different places with this. Some of us are married. Maybe there are people here who are divorced. Um, there are people here who want to be married. There are people here who don't want to be married. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. We thank you that you're the one who instituted marriage. And so right now we ask you, Holy Spirit, to show us what a godly marriage is. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So um, my wife and I, we've been married for four years, four and a half years. And um, I remember the first time that we had premarital counseling. Do you guys know what that is, premarital counseling, where you sit in front of a pastor and you feel like that in those six sessions, they're going to tell you everything about how to be married, okay? So that first premarital counseling, we were sitting with one of the pastors here, and there's this worksheet where you wrote down your expectations of yourself and of your spouse, and your spouse does the same thing, and then you compare notes, and you see where there might be some discrepancies, and you talk about it. And so one of the questions on that sheet was, um, how often are you going to cook for your spouse? <laughs> and in my family, um, you know, my mom did pretty much all of the cooking. My dad cooked maybe once a month. He, you know, made pancakes on a Saturday morning or like spaghetti. Uh, that was kind of like his go-to thing. And for Elise, she came from a, a family where her dad is this amazing cook. He... You know, he's awesome. Uh, he puts us all to shame because he's just a really great cook. In fact, the first time I went to her house, um, it was around Thanksgiving time. And for breakfast, he had three different types of meats. And I knew, like, this was going to be a great week. Um, so that was kind of our, our framework heading into this moment. And so me being the sacrificial husband that uh, I was, I, I said, well, in my mind, she's going to cook seven days a week, so I'm going to be a, a humble uh, a man and write down that I'll, I'll cook one night a week on our date night. Um, and she, thinking, you know, my dad did all the cooking, I'm going to be a humble woman of God, and we're going to do this half and half. And so we both shared our answers, and we looked at each other sideways like, you have got to be kidding. What? <laughs> It was a sideways look. It was, yeah, it was, uh, but we were, in that moment, um, and you could probably identify th with this, how you view marriage is largely dependent upon what you see in front of you. Whether it's your parents, um, maybe you grew up in a home with a grandma and no parents, maybe you grew up in a divorced home, and what shapes your view of marriage is often the closest relationships around you. And some of us here, we're married, some of us aren't married, some of us want to be married, but there is a purpose of marriage, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about uh, this example in Scripture, because regardless of what kind of example you had, there's one example in Scripture that's a perfect example that you can model after. And surprisingly, it's not a man and a woman. It's actually Jesus and the church. The church, not like a literal building, but the church, the people of God. And the people of God, the church, is described as the bride and Jesus is described as the groom. And that relationship, that marriage, is to be a model of marriages here on this earth. And marriages here on this earth are to display that 
marriage in, in, uh, between Christ and the church. And so Elise is going to talk a little bit about the role of a wife, what that looks like in a marriage. I'm going to talk about what it looks like for husbands. And then we're going to share some practical implications at the end. So if you, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen. You can also, if you're new to church, maybe you haven't uh, opened a Bible in a long time or ever, you can just Google Ephesians 5 dot dot 22 through 33. And this is, I just want to remind you this evening that we believe this is God's word. So this is not just like another book that has some advice in it. This book is God speaking to us. And so I'm going to read this for us with that in mind. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right. So just to start off with, how many people are aspiring married folk? You want to be married at some point. Okay. How many people are currently dating? All right, cool. How many people are recently engaged? Two folk in the back. <laughs> they just got engaged on Valentine's Day, y'all. It's real fresh. Um, and then how many people are recently married or are married? We have two recently married. <laughs> and um, who else? Who, must, who am I missing? Veteran married couples. Who've been, who's been married for a while? All right. How many years, Keith? Nice. Cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about the wife's role in marriage. And before I start, I kind of just want to highlight the fact that as Christians, we are constantly in a war zone. We're getting attacked on all sides, and it doesn't stop when you get married. Um, most recently, we see this through our divorce rate, 40 to 50% of couples that get married, it ends in divorce. We see it through the redefining of marriage in our culture, um, same-sex marriage. We see a rapidly growing abortion rate. We see the glorification of uncommitted relationships in movies through Hollywood celebrities. It's something that people are just reading about. They want to get more of it. They want to hear who broke up and why. It's like a big thing in our culture. And the reason is because the enemy hates 
godly marriages. He hates the idea of marriage. Um, he, he hates the idea of family because he knows that they were both created to glorify God. So the enemy will do anything he can to attack that. He'll deceive spouses into getting into relationships that they shouldn't be in outside of their marriage. He'll threaten families with sickness and disease. He'll put spouses against one another. Um, all that to ruin the unity in marriage that God established. And so two things to keep in mind as we're talking about this. The first thing is just that, that the unity of the husbands and wives is constantly being threatened. And then the second thing is that God's heart is for marriage. He created it. This is something that he holds close to his heart. This is something that he loves dearly, that he wants to see us succeed in. And so just keep that in mind, because I think when we think about marriage, we're always hearing the negative about, girl, don't get married. You don't want to do that. You want to be free from your man, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and we, we kind of buy into that. But we have to remember that God created marriage and that it's a good thing, that it was something that he condoned, that he wants us to enjoy, that he has set boundaries for us um, to make sure that our marriages do succeed so that they can glorify him. Um, so we're going to jump into Ephesians, again, chapter 22 through 24, and we're just going to talk about the wives for right now. But guys, I don't want you to check out because I think y'all will get something from this too. So don't feel like, oh, this is just for the girls. This is for everybody. All right, so chapter 5, verse 22 it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we see that Paul doesn't beat around the bush. The big word we hear is submit, right? And how many people get warm, fuzzy feelings when you hear the word submit? Nobody. Nobody likes that word in our culture, right? Um, it's really something that has been tainted over time. Submission was supposed to be a good thing. And over time, it's become this thing that we, we don't want to talk about it. Like, I'm going to get married, but eh, I don't know about the submission part. That's not really for me. Um, if you're married and you're a Christian, submission is for you. So let's just get that out the way. <laughs> um, but to understand... <laughs> um, to understand why Paul urges wives to submit, we have to go back to the very beginning and understand where it came from. What's the root of submission? Why does God call us to do it in marriage? Why is it a good thing? So let's um, jump to Genesis 3.16. Stay with me, y'all, because this is about to be really good. I'm, like, really excited about this. Okay. <laughs> All right, Genesis 3.16. This is after... Adam and Eve sinned, they're hiding. God comes and tells them what the consequences of their sin is going to be. And he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. He wasn't lying, y'all. It's real. <laughs> your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Don't miss that last part. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What does that mean by your desire shall be for your husband? Does it mean that like, oh, I'm just going to want my husband all the time? No, that's not what it means. You know, I love my husband. That's not what, that's not what God was talking about. Okay, so, so keep this verse in your head. I want you to jump to Genesis 4.17, just one chapter over, where it talks about Cain and Abel. 
And Cain um, was angry because he was giving an offering to the Lord of fruit and grain, that kind of thing. Abel gave an offering of the firstborn animals. So God was really pleased with Abel's offering, but he wasn't pleased with Cain's offering. And so if you jump down to verse 7, it says, let's start with 5. It says, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, if you look at these two verses, Genesis 3.16, where they talk about your desire shall be for your husband, and then 4.7, um, sorry, 4.8, but you, uh, your desire is for, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That word desire is the same meaning for both verses in the original Hebrew. And what that means is for Cain, it means desire, desire here means that sin wants to overpower him. It wants to take him over, but he must rule over it. He must master it. For Eve, desire here means that she will want to overpower her husband, but he will rule over her. As a consequence of sin, our very sin nature, ladies, is that we want to overpower our husbands. We want to rule. We want to be in control. We don't want to have any other desire but our own when it comes to a marriage relationship. And so that's what we're bent toward. That's what my inclination is, is like, no, I want to do it my way. This is how I think it should be done. And that's what God's talking about. That's the curse that we've entered because of sin. That's not what he always intended for us. That wasn't what he wanted for us. And for, for the husbands, because of sin, as a result, you're bent toward wanting to rule over your wives, wanting to subdue her. And it's, both of those things are rooted in selfishness. We want to be self-serving, not selfless. And so because of those two things, we see from Genesis that sin entered into the world, and now we have to have a direction. We have to have someone tell us, like, this is how you need to behave and respond if you want your marriage to be played after what the Lord has called you to do. So because of that, because of sin, Paul points that out, and those are the areas that husbands and wives have to adhere to to bring unity and order back into a marriage that God intended from the beginning to act out of selflessness and not selfishness. Get it? So let's define submission. Um, I think if we want to define it, we need to get a couple things out of the way so that they won't be like the elephant in the room. Because I know some of y'all are still like, ugh, submission, I don't know. I still, I got you, but I don't know if that's for me. So this is what submission is not. And there's like a whole, there's a whole bunch of them, but these are the, the big ones that I think we constantly hear when, pe- when you're talking to someone about submission who may not be a believer and haven't really heard this before. They're thinking like, why would I want to do that? Like, I'm not a doormat, you know? So this is what it's not. Husbands, it's not abusive. It's not leaving your personality behind. What makes you you? It's not leaving that behind. Um, it's not having no opinion. It's not being indifferent. It's not being passive. It's not being a yes girl, just saying yes to everything just so that you'll make this person happy. That's not what submission is. Um, It's not controlling your wife, and it's not walking behind your husband 10 feet. We've seen that in some of our other religions in the world where that's something that the women have to do is to to literally walk 
five feet behind your husband to show respect. That's not what God's talking about here. But what submission is, is humbly and voluntarily yielding and laying down your life for your spouse, first out of love for Christ, and then out of love for your spouse. It's just dying to yourself. That's what submission is. It's nothing more, nothing less, and it's done as a response to what God's done for us. And it's supposed to be a reflection of what Jesus has done for us. So I just want to leave you with four things um, to kind of measure what submission would look like in, in a marriage. Um, the first one is submission is relational. So we have to have a relationship with Jesus for this to look right. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you're not going to be able to submit to anybody. Um, so when you know Jesus, you know his love, you've given your life to him. It's like, it's like when you first get saved, for, those, for the believers in the room, when you first get saved, you would just have such a passion for God. You want to just do everything. You want to go do all these mission trips in India. You want to sell things and get rid of your house. Like there is just... <laughs> When you know how much he loves you and that he died for you and the mess that you're in still, and he still loves you, that's the love that you have to know in order to understand what submission looks like. Because Christ submitted too when he died on the cross for us. He said, your will, Father, not mine. And so when he did that, that was an example for us of what submission looks like. It was done out of love. It was a response to the Father's love for us. And so we have to have a relationship with the Lord for it to work. Another thing is we have to have a relationship with Jesus to be able to submit to our husbands with the same willingness and joy as we do to the Lord. So if we look at Ephesians 5.22, it says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So you can do it willingly and joyfully and in the same attitude as you submit to God. That's what that means. It means that when I serve my husband, I'm not doing it begrudgingly or because I know I have to do it. I get joy out of doing it because I know it pleases Jesus. That's the motivation behind it. It's not just so that it's done and I can say, well, I'm a submissive wife. Like, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying, like, I, I get pleasure and I know the Father gets pleasure in seeing me do it. That's my motivation. Um, the next one is submission is supernatural. And so if you look, if we jump a couple verses back in Ephesians 5.18, it talks about um, being filled with the Spirit. And it says, sorry. Um, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so because of, um, because of that verse, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it says we're going to be able to do these things. We're going to be able to address one another in psalms, spiritual songs, sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart, give thanks and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It takes the Holy Spirit to do this. We can't do this in our own strength. This is not something that comes naturally to us because of our flesh and our sin. We don't want to do this. This is not something that we're used to. But we have to call on Jesus and ask him to, be, to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we can submit in the way that he wants us to. Um, 
our sin nature, we're just bent to do whatever we want. But without the, with the Holy Spirit, we're able to do what he's called us to do. And this is something that in the beginning of our marriage, I was not, and I'm, I'm still working on it, I was not good at submitting. Um, as Stephen told you, I came in, our families are completely different. Um, I grew up watching two parents completely different than how his parents are. And so I was just learning on the fly, like what this meant. And one funny example, if you guys, some of you guys that have known us for a while probably, probably heard this story, but um, it was probably three months after we got married. And when you first get married, y'all, he, like, he could do no wrong. Like, everything was like butterflies and roses. Like, everything was clean. This was before kids. Everything was clean. We had all the time in the world. Like, dinner was on the table. We were just like, oh, this is the best dinner ever, you know? <laughs> everything is perfect, right? And three months in, I, <laughs> I can remember, um, I started noticing little things. I... I would see the cereal bowl left on the table. I'm like, I know he doesn't think I'm about to clean that up. All this stuff, right? I'm serious, guys. The Lord has worked on me, okay? And he can work on you too. So I'm seeing all these things. And so I, I approach him like, hey, would you mind, you know, when, you, when you're done with breakfast, cleaning up the cereal? And he's like, yeah, babe, like I got it. So sweet. He is, he is the sweetest man that I know. He is so sweet and so humble and so gentle with me because he knows I'm sensitive and I can go off like that. Like, he just, is, he's amazing. So that's, that was his response, a godly response, right? I'm like, thank you. He's like, you know, babe, I have one thing that I wanted to ask you, too. And I was like, what? Like, I'm thinking, like, I'm good. Like, we're good. And so he was like, you know, when you do the laundry, I, I really appreciate it. Again, sensitive. I really appreciate it. It's so great. I love that you do that. But do you think you could fold the clothes right out of the dryer when they're hot so they're not wrinkly? And I kid you not, I looked at him and I was like, that's what the iron is for. <laughs> Y'all, when I tell you that submission is supernatural, that you need the Holy Spirit to do it, I'm not kidding. That was something that had I called on Jesus and said, Lord, how do I respond in a godly way to this? What does it look like right now to submit to my husband, to honor him, to yield to him, to serve him? What does it look like? My response could have been like, you know what, I'd be happy to do that. Thanks for bringing that up. I didn't realize that you wanted the clothes, like, you know, not ironed, <laughs> but just magically straight and everything. But I didn't realize that because I had always grown up in a house where we ironed all our clothes and that was it. He, that was different for him. They took the clothes right out the dryer so they didn't have to iron. It's smart, y'all. So that was something that God continually worked on me and showed me, like, this is, this is how you yield to your husband. This isn't just doing everything that he wants to do to make him happy. It's making the Lord happy because you're yielding to him and showing that I respect God so much that I want to serve you, and that should look different to the world. That's why we do that. Um, so yeah, we, need, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. I desperately need the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the last two, submission is reciprocal. We heard in the, in the last verse, Ephesians 5.21, that husbands and wives are called to submit to one another. And even though it says that, it doesn't mean that um, it looks the same. So God created male and female equal, but unique in their purpose and roles. And so it looks different for the wife to submit 
than it does for the husband. For the wife, it looks like respecting, serving, yielding, um, yielding to leadership because they're, they're called to lead the family. Um, for a husband, it looks like being love, like loving your wife, being gentle with her, caring for her. Um, but they both take on the posture of service. So that's the difference there. It's reciprocal. Um, and then the last one is submission is countercultural. Marriage is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Stephen. Um, this is a privilege that we get to live out. This is a blessing. This is a gift from God. And we don't want to take it for granted because it has a purpose behind it. And so it says in um, Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our marriages are supposed to look different than the world. Why? Because they're supposed to point to Jesus. When people see me loving Stephen, see me folding his clothes right out the dryer without complaining, see me serving him, see me honoring him in my conversation when he's not there, that looks different than what the world is doing in their marriages. People take notice, and it's not because of us. They, they don't want to see how good we are or how we do this. They want to know why. What's, what's behind that? What's the root of that? It's Jesus. We get to point to Jesus when people ask about why we do this, why we look this way, why our family looks this way. And we have to remember that it's not for us. It's not for, it's, God is so great and that it's for our benefit and we get to enjoy it, but ultimately it's to bring God glory. So the covenant that we make with each other as husband and wife reflects the covenant that Christ made with us, his church, and the unity that follows it. So ladies, our submission is not only for the benefit of marriage, rooted, rooted in unity, that's a good thing, but it's ultimately for a reflection of the selflessness and unconditional love and service that Christ and his church have entered into. And so um, I just, as a takeaway, I just want to, well, I guess we'll do that after yours, right? Never mind. Hold that thought. <laughs> Stephen's going to talk to you about the husbands. Awesome. Can you give it up? That was pretty, that was pretty good. Um, so, Elise talked about verse 22 through 24, which is Paul's instructions to the wives. We're going to look at now 25 through 32, which is Paul inst his instructions to the husbands. And just at the outset, notice how Paul devotes three times more space to talk to the husbands. And I think... It's probably because we're a little bit more hard-headed. I don't know. Um, but also, there's a responsibility as the man to lead, that he's held accountable before God. And so there's more instructions that are needed. So there's two analogies that Paul gives um, to show husbands why Jesus is the perfect example. The first is Christ as the groom, and the second is Christ as the head. So he starts off by saying, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, like Lee said, hearing that word submission for ladies is, is a tough thing. But look what the guys got to do, too, okay? Love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's a serious call. How did Jesus love the church? He gave himself up for the church. We judge the extent of somebody's love for how much they're willing to sacrifice or how much they did sacrifice for that person. Some of you, I mean, most of you heard about, you know, a couple of days ago, this tragic shooting in um, Parkland, Florida. 
But in the midst of that tragedy, there was a story of a heroic story of this assistant football coach who, while the shooter was shooting, he shielded uh, three young ladies and he actually took the bullets for them and he died. And that's really an example of, of love. I mean, the, the girls, when they were being interviewed, talked about this love that this high school football coach showed for them in sacrificing himself. And that's a picture of what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed himself on that cross. And verses 26 through 28 tell the why. And we don't have time to read the whole thing, but just two lines from those two verses, or three verses. Verse 26, that he may sanctify her. And then 27 says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. So we are, we're the bride of Christ, the church is. But not in, this, not in the way that we think of a bride, because we're really the engaged bride of Christ. We haven't yet been presented to Jesus. And the Apostle John in, in Revelation chapter 19, he shares this, this vision of the day that we will be united with Christ in marriage. And he says that in verse 7 of Revelation 19, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So we're going to be married as a church to Jesus, but there's this preparation that's happening. And in any marriage, there's preparation. Now, my preparation with my friends, before we got married, we went to that Chick-fil-A across the street. I got married here. We got married here. And our preparation was, let's try not to get Chick-fil-A on our suits. That was about the extent of our preparation. But meanwhile, for my wife, I mean, they're getting their hair done. She's getting her nails done. I mean, this is an all-day type affair. Because when it comes to marriage and that wedding day, the bride wants to present herself in the most beautiful way possible. And that's what's going on here with our relationship with Christ, is the preparation that we undergo as the, the bride of Jesus is so much more costly than the price of a tuxedo or the price of getting your nails done. It cost Jesus his life, his blood. He became bloody for our beauty. He loved us. He gave himself up for us all to sanctify us, to make us holy. And, one, and that was a one-time act. So when Jesus died on the cross, when we, when we see Jesus face to face, we'll be presented to him as holy. That's the gospel. We don't have any hope to cleanse ourselves. We can't clean ourselves off. We needed that act of love, that sacrifice on the cross, the blood of Jesus shed for our sins, to make us pure and spotless before Christ. And that will happen. But Jesus wants to prepare us now. He doesn't want to wait till that day to start that preparation. He wants to present us as his bride then, but in the meantime, he wants the world to see this relationship that he has with us so that they see the love that we have for Christ and they want that type of love. Marriage is a vehicle for holiness. It's not the only vehicle but it is a vehicle of holiness. We think of marriage as primarily about our happiness. We try to find somebody who's going to make us the most happy, but really marriage is about our holiness. And it's why so many people get divorced because they marry somebody who made them happy and then all of a sudden when they're not happy, they get divorced. As men, we are partially responsible for the way that our wives look. And what I mean by that is if you've ever noticed a, a man of God, his wife seems to be like glowing. You notice that? 
And it's because his love for her is, is like a shield. He's laying down his life for her so she doesn't have to take the blunt of a lot of craziness in this world. He's praying for her. He's pursuing her. He's telling her she's beautiful. He's there for her intentionally so that when she's presented to Jesus, she is that pure, part of that pure and spotless bride of Christ. You've seen the opposite of that. You've seen a man neglect his wife and it affects her emotionally, it affects her spiritually, it affects her even physically at times. And we as men have the responsibility to get bloody for our wife's beauty. You men were made to be warriors. It's why you can play, uh, you know, things like, um, what is that game on the computer that guys spend hours playing? Uh, World of Warcraft for hours. And it doesn't satisfy you. Because there's this desire, or you can scan Facebook or social media, none of those things satisfy you because you are meant to fight to fight for a family, to fight for a wife. And if you're single here, let me encourage you, learn how to fight now. You have the perfect practice field in the body of Christ. If you can't die daily for the bride of Christ, how are you going to die for your bride one day? Every opportunity to serve whether it's in kid builders or as ushers, whatever it is for you to serve this house is practice to love the bride of Jesus. It's practice for you eventually to love your wife. That first analogy is Christ is the groom. We are the church. The second is Christ as the head. And that's a little bit strange, picturing Jesus as the head and, and the church as his body. But he says in verse 28 of that passage in Ephesians 5, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So Paul is saying that your wife is your body, you're the head, she's the body. And how do you treat your body? You brush your teeth, you take shower, you exercise, you sleep, you rest. Why? because you care about how your body is affected. A man doesn't use his authority and his strength to lord it over his wife. Jesus was the head of the church, and look how, look how he uses his authority, his headship. In verse 23 that Elise talked about, it says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So Jesus used his authority to serve you and I. He uses headship not as something to beat us over the head with, but he uses authority to serve. He nourishes and cherishes the body, the church. Think of how tender he's been with you and me. That when we sin against him, he's patient, he's merciful. He gives us a Holy Spirit to convict us. He could have just given up on us a long time ago, but he's a patient authority figure. And that's what the husband is not to use his authority in marriage to lord it over his wife, but to serve her, to nourish her, to cherish her. That's what he's called to do, to give his life for his wife. And that last verse of this passage is kind of like a summary statement. It says, husbands, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to respect their husbands. 
So we want to just give you, to close here, four examples, two of what it looks like for a husband practically to love his wife, two for a wife to respect her husband. So men, loving means giving and not taking. It means after work, giving means coming home, you're exhausted, you've had a long day, but choosing to give of yourself, to engage your wife, to not take that time, but to give yourself for her in those moments. Every day when I come home from work, I say, God, I don't have any energy, I don't have any strength, but I want to give myself to my family, I want to give myself to my wife. Giving in sexual intimacy is seeking to meet her needs as opposed to looking for her to meet my needs, to take from her. Giving in household roles is doing the things I may not naturally want to do, like cooking for her sake. For ladies, um, respecting your husband, it starts in the heart. So it's something that you have to constantly ask the Holy Spirit, what are my intentions here? Is this, am I trying to be self-seeking or am I really wanting to yield and respect my husband and serve him? So you have to constantly be in communion with the Lord and asking him to help you in all those areas because you really can't do it without him. You have to continually invite him into your heart to make sure that everything that you're doing is for his glory. Is he being glorified in your actions, in your words, in your thoughts even toward your husband? The second thing is for men, men love means nourishing and not neglecting. So my wife and I, we did uh, a date night every Monday night. That was our thing. And then when we had kids, um, I didn't prioritize that as much as I should have. And so she came to me and said, hey, we haven't done a date night in a long time. Can we get back to doing that? And so last Monday, we went to go see The Greatest Showman, and it was an awesome movie. We were at that theater in Leesburg where they bring the food right to you. It was amazing. But nourishing means creating those intentional moments for you guys to connect. And so as a husband, that's my responsibility to lead in that way, to nourish my wife. Spiritually nourishing instead of neglecting is finding times to pray with her, to lead her in a a devotional once a week, to say, hey, how are you doing spiritually? It's not to have a devotion for her. It's not to, she always tells me, stop preaching, Pastor Stephen, you know, because I don't. I do. That's something I have to work on. But it's lovingly nourishing her um, and having a spiritual life together that I'm leading her in. And then also, um, are we feeding our soul on the word of God? Are we in our Bible? Are we staying in close, tight relationship with Jesus? Because that affects our marriage a lot. If we're distant from God, it affects our marriage. He can tell when I haven't read my Bible. He's good. He's like, Elise, do you need a quiet time? And I'm like, yes, I do. You're right, I do. Um, so what are we feeding our, our soul? Are we on Instagram all day? Or are we actually getting into our word and letting the Holy Spirit show us what it means to work on ourselves for his glory and so that he can benefit too, um, so that the world can see him through our marriage? Amen, yeah. Husbands, love your wives. Women, wives, submit to your husbands. And through that, like you said, is a picture of what Jesus did for his bride, the church. Amen? God, we thank you so much that you gave us the best example of marriage by giving of yourself. And Lord, we want our 
relationships to honor you. Lord, there's people here who, Lord, one day they may be married. And Lord, I pray that you would seal the things that we talked about in their hearts so that when that day comes, they'll be prepared. For those who are married, Lord, I pray that all of us would be challenged, would be convicted to be a better reflection of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.